babies and money. Prepping for a baby isn't all about decorating the nursery and filling out your registry. There is a whole financial side to this having a baby thing, and spoiler alert, it's expensive. Now there is a certain spectrum of costs, and they will vary depending on where you live, the choices you make around your childcare, school, extracurricular activities, etc. But the sooner you start getting a handle on your budget, which is really just money in versus money out, the more secure you'll feel as you're raising your little one. There's so many different stages that women go through as caretakers that have major financial implications and starting a family is one of the key ones. And so I think it's really important to get good objective information from a fiduciary about what's gonna happen with this early stage of your life, but then also as you move through having kids as I'm experiencing, there's all kinds of different financial implications of their different stages of life as well. Hi, I'm Sarah, host of the Juna Women podcast and founder of Juna. Our mission here at Juna is to help guide women, like you, through your trying to conceive pregnancy and motherhood journey. Today's episode is the ninth part of our family planning series, and we're talking all about babies and money. To help us with this topic, I enlisted Cheryl Nelson Boyd, a certified financial planner from Colorado who has been advising people how to spend and save their money for more than 13 years. Cheryl is also a mom and brings essential real-life experience to this conversation. By the end of this episode, you should have a clear understanding of the costs of childcare, how to set up a budget, how to talk to your partner and get on the same page regarding money, and feel empowered to start creating a financially secure life for you and your family. A good place to start for this is at the beginning, like when you're trying to conceive or early in pregnancy. Cheryl calls this baby-proofing your cash flow. The first piece of that is understanding what is my budget right now? What are my non-negotiables? These are bills that have to be paid every month, like my mortgage, my rent, utilities, gas, food. So important in pregnancy. I mean, hello. <laughs> we have to feed ourselves and those sweet little babies. And then looking at these are all the discretionary or lifestyle parts of my budget that may not continue at all once I have kids or may change a lot. And I think that's a really good starting ground for for women and for couples to look at because then you really know, okay, this is what is going to go out each month no matter what. And then this is the area of our finances that we can adjust and that we have some room for the new expenses that come with the baby. So that's the first exercise. And then we look at also planning for unexpected events, making sure you have the right insurance in place, that you're leveraging your employee benefits, or if there is a gap that we look at options for that type of coverage, especially life and disability, very important, understanding your health insurance, what's going to be covered, what's not. And then that third piece, all of this is so fun. So you're already having a party with those two. But just to top it off, we like to look at estate planning, thinking about your wills. Healthcare power of attorney is very, very important for pregnant women to think about who would be making medical decisions on your behalf because we absolutely hope for best case scenario when we're pregnant. But the reality is it's an incredibly complicated medical event in your life, um, or it can become that. So you really want to have all those taken care of so that you know if something 
did come up, you've had a voice in a scenario that you may not be able to control. So really drilling down on what are the controllable factors in my life and what are the uncontrollable factors that I can be as prepared as possible for. And thinking about guardians too, that can be challenging at the early stages of pregnancy because there's so much going on, but it's a very important part of an estate plan to have guardians appointed for this new little bundle of joy you're bringing into the world. And that when you're working in a couple, that can look really different, what you're thinking about and who you would want. And so it's really crucial to understand you can appoint two different people for two different roles. You can appoint one person that is really aligned with your values and your beliefs that would be responsible for raising your child. And then you can appoint another person to handle the financial element. And that's what I recommend to my clients because it's very important to separate out. Even if there is one magical unicorn in your life that would do everything like you, um, most of the time you just don't want to create a conflict of interest. Whew. Okay, that was a lot. But here are the three basic takeaways. Number one, look at your budget. How much money is coming in and how much is going out? Where can you move things around now that you're having a baby? For example, if you had season tickets to the Dodgers, you might want to reevaluate that purchase. Spending a lot on restaurants, you're probably not going to be going out as much, especially in that first year. Number two, next look at the actual costs of having the baby and how your health insurance fits in. These things aren't always transparent, so you may actually have to call someone on the phone and do some digging, but it's worth it. Lastly, and this is probably the step most people skip, you want to look at a family trust and will. We naturally don't want to think about the worst case scenario, but part of adulting is having these hard conversations and making these decisions. There's a website called trustandwill.com if you are more of the DIY type, or you can have a family planning lawyer draft things up for you. I want to dive a little deeper into the budget, specifically the spending side. There are things we could live without, but they do make our lives easier. Things like the snoo, strollers, slings, swings. Then there are the essentials like bottles, diapers, formulas if you're not going to be breastfeeding. All of these things add up. Here's Cheryl on how to prepare for the onslaught of stuff that is going to accompany your tiny human when he or she moves in. The average cost of a baby in the first year, if we're just thinking diapers, formula, clothes, um, can be anywhere from $200 to $400 a month, and it can be much higher when we add in childcare. So something that is really important, I think, for my clients is to add that expense into your cash flow while you're pregnant so that you can start to build a little buffer for that first year. And then when some of these other larger expenses come up, there is resources in place. And when you start paying for formula, diapers, daycare, you're already used to it for a few months. So it doesn't feel as shocking. It'll always be shocking to you what you order on Amazon at three in the morning, but it won't be as challenging from a budget standpoint because you started to get that in place. Um, The other piece I encourage people to do is go to your local consignment or go online and see what are the brands that can resell And that, because it tells us two things. First, these are the brands that there's a demand for and that there's a loyal customer base around. And it also shows you these went through one family and, you know, maybe in some cases they didn't use them, but in other cases they were able to use them with multiple kids and they still are ready to be resold. So I think that can be a really nice way to adjust some of the total cost of these expenses, especially on bigger ticket items. Obviously not car seats and 
you know, cribs sometimes, but yeah, when you're thinking of how can I manage this as much as possible, that's one piece that is really helpful. Food, diapers, wipes, cribs, strollers, these things are all fairly obvious expenses. But what about the gotcha expenses? What are the hidden costs of pregnancy? It first starts with your healthcare coverage. What type of coverage do you have? And what type of care will be covered and not covered? Like there are some plans where if you meet a certain criteria, you can get acupuncture and there's other plans that you can't. Um, so those, that's really getting grounded in like, this is what our coverage will be. This is what our plan is. And knowing most of pregnancy, you're just going back to what can I control? What is uncontrollable? We don't know what's going to happen. So just understanding your baseline and then trying to have self-compassion for yourself and really try to have some peace with your own process of like, okay, well, we couldn't have planned for this, but it's happening. And where can we adjust? And that's why the emergency fund is really important to have and to start building in your pregnancy because of expenses like that. But thinking about cord blood banking is a big one that we experienced and that we've talked with our clients around. It's a financial commitment because they have to get it and they have to keep it alive. And so just understanding the total cost of something like that is really important because where I see people get disconnected in their day-to-day is just making this decision kind of in the moment instead of looking at the total cost. So, you know, if it's going to cost $10,000 over a lifetime, are you okay with that? Where are we adjusting the budget to to afford that? Um, So that can be a big one. And then if you do start to, like if you start working with a financial planner, if you hire an estate attorney to do your documents, those are some, you know, one-time or ongoing expenses that can be a little, not, they're not derailing, they're important investments in your overall plan, but you have to be ready for this is an expense because of this life stage or this life event that might not be the same forever. Switching gears to talk about the other side of the budget, the money coming in. If you are currently a two-income household and your spending reflects that level of income, you'll want to make sure nothing is going to be changing on that front. If you work for someone else, find out what their maternity policy is and how to make that work for your family. Lots of places are flexible, and now with COVID-19 changing the work-from-home dynamic, what seems like permanently, you may be able to create a healthy balance between work and parenting life. If you are self-employed, you will have to take steps to make sure that you have adequate coverage. Here's Cheryl. If you are self-employed or you're a consultant, 1099 income, you really want to think of, in my business, what's the lead that I'm going to need? What are my sources of revenue that could be disrupted? And how do I want to prepare for that? Because that's the great thing about being an entrepreneur, being a business owner, You can literally do whatever you want, but you can do whatever you want. And so you really want to understand what the disruption is going to be in the business. And maybe if there's someone you need to hire for that or someone whose role you can shift and how that financially could impact your current year and then the structure of the business overall. If you're working in corporate America, there's an ease because there's an understood policy. You go to HR, you say, congratulations to me, because they may not say congratulations right away. Um, I'm pregnant. And what's our policy? 
And there are protections in our country for how women are treated when they make that announcement at work. But there's not a cultural shift yet, in my opinion, to really support working families. And because we're one of the first generations or on the earlier side where typically both spouses or partners are working um, with the general cost of just living in our country. So I think it's really good to get that baseline information. This is what the leave looks like. Is there any impact to your income? Do you have eight weeks of paid leave and then four weeks of 60%? Does your short-term disability through your employer cover any of your pregnancy? Are you in a state where there's family leave and they would access those days to kind of get you the type of leave that you want, but really start with that data and understand this is my leave, but then it's also what's your spouse or partner's policy because there are some amazing companies that give leave to everybody and they really acknowledge that you do need two people to keep that tiny human alive forever for the record, but definitely in those early days, it's good to have four sets uh, or four eyes instead of the two. So start there. And then once you have that information, if there is going to be an income disruption, how do we add that into the budget now? And how do we pare back on some of these negotiable expenses or lifestyle expenses to make that time as easy as possible? One thing I will add to this, if anything about your leave policy is confusing or you don't understand the nuances, you are not alone. There's no one size fits all, specifically here in the United States, for maternity or paternity leave. Much of it is state by state and even then company by company. For example, I had to write my company a check to pay my health insurance even though I was on a fully paid 12-week leave. We're going to take a quick break so I can tell you about the Juna app, which is the app that makes this podcast possible. Juna is the only pregnancy and postpartum fitness and nutrition app with more than 200 pregnancy and postpartum safe workouts. The app also includes a key nutrient to focus on every week. For example, in week 16, Juna recommends vitamin C because vitamin C supports healthy lung development and it boosts immunity and it lowers the risk of developing preeclampsia. From there, we give you delicious recipes that help you get that exact nutrient in your life both quickly and easily. Juna also includes daily diaphragmatic breathing exercises as well as pelvic floor prep to keep things intact before and after labor. We also provide you daily tips to get you through each stage of your pregnancy and are constantly adding more to the experience. Lastly, every week there is a note from me that is relevant to the exact things you're experiencing. These are so helpful for easing any fears you may have as well as preventing gestational Google mania, the sickness where you can't stop Googling every little thing that happens during pregnancy. You can find the app by searching Juna in the iOS app store or visiting juna.co. And the best part is when you enter your due date or baby's birthday for postpartum, the app will automatically place you exactly where you're supposed to be. As a Juno Women podcast listener, we are offering you your first 30 days free. This deal is only available through our website. Go to juna.co, and when you get to the credit card page, use coupon code JUNAPOD, all in caps. Again, that is J-U-N-A-P-O-D, all in caps. Now, back to the show. Moving on now, past pregnancy. Let's talk about some of the expenses that might arise in the first year of your child's life. The biggest, of course, is childcare. In many cases, early childcare and preschool can cost as much as college. 
daycare can be one of the biggest expenses in a new family. And what can be challenging about it is that typically it's the biggest expense and it's five or six years of those early years that you're paying it. So it can be very helpful to talk about it in pregnancy. It can be very stress inducing. And so we want to just look at what are a few conversation prompts with yourself first, because you want to get really clear on what you want. And then how are you talking to your spouse or partner about preparing for it? So once you understand, like for me, we did some flex work um, in those early months and then went back like 70, 80%. And so there were other roles or other types of compensation that weren't going to be a part of my career at that time. And what I wish I had thought more about was like, that's a challenging shift in your identity to go from I'm the boss lady to I'm have this newborn that kind of feels like my boss <laughs> all the time and doesn't speak English yet. And I don't really know what he needs from me and I'm failing. Um, so I wish I had taken some time to really think about like, what is that identity I want to have as a working mom? And what is the support system that I need for that identity that I'm trying to create? And it changes a lot too. So having some grace with yourself of understanding you're pregnant now, when the baby comes, things might change as well. But I think if you do decide we're going to do some type of full-time daycare and it's accredited and all that good stuff, you can use like a flex savings account to pay for that and to defer some of those funds. So you want to know that going in because a lot of those enrollments happen right after the pregnancy. Um, so it's something to be thinking about while you're pregnant and then be ready to adjust to. And daycare can really, depending on how you do it, or if you have a friend help or you get an au pair, it, it's a huge range. It can be a few hundred dollars a week. It can be $5,000 a month. So really thinking about what's our financial capacity, because it's, it's important to understand what you want and your ideal. My ideal is that Mary Poppins moves in and I have a maid every day. And that's not my financial reality. And Mary Poppins is not a real person. So <laughs> you have to kind of peel back like, you know, these are the things that I would want. And this is the support that I need. Um, so that can be a big one in the first year. You have a lot of doctor's visits. And so, you know, if you have out of pocket, there's some cost there. If you decide to go a more alternative route and you're using maybe more of a functional medicine or chiropractors, PTs. Um, both of our sons needed some occupational therapy, and that was a very unexpected cost. We had insurance coverage, thankfully, but there were still deductibles. There were still co-pays. And, you know, that's also a big investment of your time. And so it's easy in my job sometimes to think like, oh, it costs this much, but it also costs three hours of your day to like get there and do the therapy and leave. And so really trying to see like, how can I make this as flexible as possible from a work standpoint? And again, who's the support that I need or who needs to be on the team to really help this happen? So then you can communicate what you need, but your spouse or partner can also go to their employer and say like, here's what this first year might look like for us. Financial planning beyond the first year warrants an entire episode, so we won't get into too much detail here, but there are some steps you can start taking early that will help ease the financial burden as they enter adolescence and into adulthood. 
now we're in that ideal scenario where you've rocked out your budget, your cash flow is good, you feel very aware of some of the costs that are happening in your new family life and you've got your protections in place and thinking for the future. Um, we look at a few different ways that you can save on behalf of your kids. The most common one that you hear about a lot is a 529 plan, which is an education-specific tax-deferred account. Most of the time it's run by your state, and there may be some state tax incentives. You have to speak with a, a CPA or your tax advisor to confirm that. It used to be that they were only for uh, qualified college expenses, but with the tax law changes, they are now qualified K through 12 expenses and college. So it can be a great savings vehicle if you're going to have some type of private school expense for your kids, um, or if you really want to redirect some of the generosity of your family on Christmas and birthdays and just like, look, here's a 529 and they'll go to college. It'll be great. Um, so multiple people can contribute to those types of accounts and they do grow tax deferred and you have a little more access to them now than you did a few years ago when they were only college specific. If you don't want something that's tied to education, um, there's two ways you can set up an account on behalf of your child. You can have an UPMA or UGMA account, which, and it, it is also state-based, so depending on what state you live in, that's the type that you would set up. Um, because the state decides the age of majority when the child has access to the funds, but it's a uniform transfer to minors account. You are the custodian, so you are in charge of that money until they reach the age of majority, which is typically 18 or 21. And those accounts can be savings accounts like money markets, CDs. They can also have stocks, ETFs, mutual funds. So there's a lot more flexibility in what that type of account can own. What's so important, though, for people to realize is that legally, that money becomes the child's when they reach the age of majority. So if you are looking for a way to influence or control how that money is used, that might not be the best option, unless you're planning on using it up before they're 18 or 21. Um, so that's a, a really key consideration there. And I think a piece of it too, it's it very important to save for your kids if that is a if that's a goal of yours and you want to create some of that stability or you want to prepare for college expenses that way. But teaching your kids about money and bringing those conversations into the home are exponentially more important, in my opinion, than setting up these accounts. These accounts are great. They fit in. If, if that's your value and that's your financial intention, you really want to screen through how you can use those. Um, but talking to your kids about money, making them aware, making them comfortable is so, so important for parents. As we wrap things up, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the mom tax. This is not an actual tax payment you have to make because you're a mom, but rather the effect of becoming a mom can have on your earning ability or career path. In almost all cases, there's going to be a give and take and where you decide to devote the majority of your time, whether that's your career or your family, one of them is going to take a hit. The mom tax is very real. There are very few protections. There's protections for you when you're pregnant, but a family life evolves over time. You need different flexibility. You need different policies that really are more relevant to what happens in the day-to-day -day of a 
working family. And we don't have that now. And I think uh, there's a checklist that I have in my mind and talk through with my clients of like, are you going to pay the mom tax basically? And the first thing you want to look at is, you know, am I an employer or business owner? Because it's different depending on if you're a business owner, you have a little bit more influence, you have a little bit more control, but there may be, depending on what you, what type of business you own and what type of industry, the perception of you may shift once you have kids and once you're a mom. And so getting really clear on what that would look like. If you're an employee, I think it's also important to look at your industry and look at the culture of that specific company you're in. And the second checkpoint would be, is there someone that's doing what I am planning to do? So after you take some time thinking through, like, what do I want to look like as a working mom or, you know, or working dad as well, want to bring the dads or the partners in, whatever it needs to be, because it it really is a family tax long term. Um, But understanding like, okay, is there somebody who's doing what I want to do? And if the answer to that is no the likelihood that there will be negative implications on your income and your career are incredibly high. And you just have to be ready for that and be prepared to know your rights and be prepared to advocate for yourself and be prepared to have a community around you that is supporting what you want, knowing that you might not find that in your industry or in your company and you have to create it for yourself. And then the third piece is, you know, understanding do I need to make a change? You know, after I go through and see if there is someone, can I learn from them? Can I take them out to coffee or lunch? It's hard to ask people for their time. Time is our most valuable resource, but really framing it in like, hey, this is where I'm at. Can you hop on the phone for 15 minutes and just let me pick your brain? Or, you know, if there's not someone in that space for you, is this a path that's sustainable for your family? That's the third checkpoint. Like, do I, can I go forward? Am I ready to do that? And is, do I want to make the path for that generation behind me? Because right now as working women, we stand on the shoulders of women that did not have any of this. And so sometimes it's hard to be like, oh, we need more, but oh my gosh, the data is overwhelming that we have so much work to do to equalize the economy and the workforce for women. And so, you know, you may not have those resources. You may not be in an industry or in a company where there is support, but you could be the one that changes that. And that could be a really dynamic and empowering part of your career if you have the emotional and mental energy to do it. So I think it's super, super important. And the other thing, the reason I call it a family tax is because if you're in a career where your earnings change or you decide to go part-time and your benefits change, the compounding effect on your, if you lose your 401k match and that three to 5% is no longer a part of your retirement picture, this costs women hundreds of thousands of dollars, even a millions of dollars over a lifetime potentially. And so I don't want to stress, I especially don't want to stress pregnant women out hearing numbers like that, but it can be a very, very real impact, even if it's just going to be a few years that you're out of the workforce that changes your 401k match, your social security, the level of income that your household has, and it's not right or wrong. It's something you want to get clear on and prepare for. 
because then you can be empowered and then you can make the decisions that you need to. Okay, that's all for today. I hope you found this episode helpful and I encourage you to take control of your finances as early as possible. You won't regret it. If you aren't the numbers type, have your partner take the lead. If you are looking for a financial planner, Cheryl has offered Juna listeners a special deal of $100 off the initial financial planning engagement. You can get this deal by going to the Ameriprise link in our show notes. If you have any other questions, comments, or need some guidance during your trying to conceive journey, please email me at sarah at juna.co. On the next episode, we'll be talking to Shana Shockett, a maternal mental health therapist who focuses on helping couples navigate the major life transition of building your family. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.